0: Bon dia, boa tarde. Welcome to another episode of the PortugueseSoccer.com podcast. I'm your guest host, John Neves, back here again to talk about my favorite subject, your favorite subject, and that is, of course, Portuguese soccer, Portuguese football, whatever word you use in your part of the world. Episode 187, it's the International Break Edition. Of course, we just finished our fourth match day, both in the first and second division, and now... Pretty much for the next uh, five days or so, it's all going to be about the national team as they get ready to play Slovakia, looking to break a record for the best start uh, for a Portuguese team in the World Cup or European qualifying. They've never started the campaign with five wins in a row, and they're going to look to do that uh, the day this episode drops on Friday night uh, at Slovakia. It will not be easy. Um, I had Bosnia-Herzegovina, in my opinion, as being the second-best team in this group, but Slovakia was definitely a third, and right now they are sitting in pretty good position in second place uh, behind Portugal. Portugal undefeated, so I'll talk about that coming up here on my second half of this episode. I'll be previewing that, as well as uh, two matches in this weekend in Portugal. We've got Braga, More Dance, and we also have uh, the last League Cup, a preliminary playoff match taking place, and I'll talk about both of those coming up here in the second half of the episode. But the first half of the episode, I want to talk about some of the controversies that have happened. And I'm not going to sit here and add more criticism to the criticism you've already heard. I'm not going to sit here and add more disappointment to the disappointment you already have. But I want to come at it from a different perspective and the fact that I started PortugueseSoccer.com. Obviously it started as a website back in 1997. <laughs> That's right. Uh, some of you probably weren't even born then. Um, this has been a passion. It's been great for me. Um, and it's been a way for me to give back to Portugal and to what is giving me a lot of Portuguese football, Portuguese soccer. And I want to talk a little bit about what life was like when I first started this, to what it is now, and tell you the differences. And tell you where I believe the problems really are. And I will tell you what aren't the problems. Um, I'm giving you a perspective. Basically of more than 20 years difference over the years. Of me doing this between the old days and the new days. And first off let me say that what happened this weekend. And the, the visual. The photo of the Portuguese referee. And he was in a bad spot. Um, sitting there with his mobile phone in his ear, looking into the VAR or standing in front of it, uh, is an image that unfortunately ran throughout the world in social media and regular media. And uh, a lot of people will agree it was a very dark day for Portuguese football. Um, And let's, by the way, make a, uh, um, a separation here. Portugal is a beautiful country, beautiful food, beautiful tourism, they're having an issue right now with the housing crisis, which you know I'll mention at another time. But Portugal is in good shape. But Portuguese football is upsetting a lot of people right now, and Portuguese football, Portuguese soccer, is supposed to be entertainment. And right now, a lot of people, including political leaders, have even given their opinion about some of the stuff that's been happening in Portugal. And let me just say that when I started back in the late 1990s with PortugueseSaga.com. It was a different world technologically, of course. Um, But back then, the clubs did not like each other as much as they don't like each other now. Everybody thought there was a system working against them. Everybody thought their rival was corrupt. Everybody thought the referees were out to get them. And everybody defended their club regardless of the public relations problems it would bring. They didn't care. At the end of the day, it's always been an ugly public relations war between these teams when they're not playing on the pitch. And that has not changed till today. We still have the same problems. The only thing that has really changed in Portuguese football, Portuguese soccer, has been the fact that the transfer has changed. Because back in the mid-90s when Bosman, a Belgium footballer, uh, who, by the way, has never gotten the respect from the players after that were able to make millions, but he was a Belgium footballer. He wanted a transfer because his contract was up. His Belgium club wouldn't let him. He had to stay, and he wound up making less money. He took it to European court, and the whole transfer thing, uh, the system the way it was in the old days, I think you were only allowed like three foreigners, collapsed. When he did that back in the mid-'90s, right around the time that I started this, maybe a year before, um, that's when the transfer window started, and that's when the golden generation, a lot of the golden generation players, started to, um, and especially the ones that came after, a lot of them started to go abroad because there was more money to be made abroad. That has been the biggest difference because especially these days where newspapers, especially last week, We're dominated news about Portuguese transfers. But that's been the biggest difference for Portuguese football, because clubs have found a way to make a lot of money off of that. And what's interesting about Portuguese football and transfers is that, you know, you're not necessarily competing with your rivals. It's just you and the other club negotiating a deal to sell a player. You sell that player, you get that money back, and then you reinvest it to get more players and to keep it going, and to continue to play in European competition. That has been the biggest thing that has changed in Portuguese football between the mid-90s to where we are today. And I think, to me, the, the transfer window sometimes, selling the players be- makes takes up too much news sometimes. But when it comes to controversies between the teams, nothing has changed. Like I said, the presidents are still at each other's throats. The newspapers still report all the bad stuff. And by the way, can you blame the newspapers? They're in the business of selling newspapers. They're in the business of getting views. And if people don't like it, then they shouldn't buy the newspapers. They shouldn't go to the games. And they shouldn't watch the television if you happen to have the packages to watch the football matches. But the thing is, people still watch it. So at the end of the day, all the complaining that goes on, all the embarrassment that people say, it doesn't change anything. It just continues and continues and continues to go. And that has been the only thing that has not changed in the many years that I've been doing PortugueseSoccer.com is that ugliness, that chaos, that noise hasn't really changed in all these years. Now, back in the day, okay, people in Portugal, I think if I recall, were able to watch one or two matches on free TV in Portugal. But not all the matches in the first division were transmitted, especially not in the second division, were transmitted in Portugal. So there was always some matches a week were not on TV. You fast forward to this day, all the matches are available on TV. But back in the day, you didn't have that. That was one big change. And therefore, you didn't really get to see highlights. You didn't get to see if something was offside. You didn't get to see a a referee um, sent off a manager. It was a different world like that. The newspapers are still the newspapers as they are today. Um, But back then you had to physically buy the newspaper to read it. Now you go online and you could pretty much read most of what's in the print newspaper. So the amount of information we have today, compared to back in the late 90s is obviously a lot more we are fed more information. So as a result, we're going to be reading about more controversy like we did this week. But back in the day, you had to buy the newspaper. You had to watch the news at night uh, because back in the day, news did not travel as fast as it did now. When I was growing up, if I got a, my hands on a Portuguese newspaper, even if it was a week old back in the early days of the 90s, that was gold to me. I would wait till my neighbor would finish reading it and then he would give it to me even if it was four or five days old because it was hard to get a Portuguese newspaper. You know, shortwave radio was the way you listened to the broadcast. You know, now you can go on Gold TV, Sport TV if you're in Portugal, and you can watch the football matches. Back in the day, it wasn't as available, especially to people outside the United States, and you had to pretty much uh, listen to shortwave radio. There would be times in my apartment building, because there was a lot of Portuguese people in my apartment building, where on Sunday afternoon, and by the way, the matches were never like they are now, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They were mostly on Sunday, a lot of them, Especially spent some on Saturday, but a lot on Sunday. And when I would go to put out the garbage, I could hear that screeching of the shortwave radio, which wasn't, you know, uh, where you listen to FM or AM. I know AM is not a thing in Portugal, but it is here in North America, where you hear it without any interruption, any noise, anything annoying. Shortwave radio would be work great for four minutes, and then you'd have that one minute where you could barely hear it. And that one minute when you could barely hear it you sort of had a heart attack because you would hear the announcer doing the play call and you would think you missed the goal. I mean, it was just a different world. But back then, information slow was slow. And the only time people argued was in the cafe, was after they were at their Portuguese club or their Benfica club, their sporting club, their Porto club, wherever it may be, wherever it is, the Portuguese restaurant, maybe the Portuguese pub, whatever it may be in Newark, Toronto, whatever it may be, That was where a lot of people went to argue. You couldn't sit at home, watch television, and argue the way you could now, whereas today, you can go on social media, you could see a website, um, a Twitter account, an Instagram account, whatever it may be, Facebook post, and then within those comments, you can engage with other fans, and a lot of times it's not pretty when you're defending your club. And there's more of that now than there was back in the late 90s where you didn't have that. You know, unless you called into a show And sometimes they would do that. I know they used to do that in Newark, if I recall. Uh, That would be the only way that fans could participate in these conversations. So back in the day, there was always problems. It just wasn't as intense as it is now because we've got social media. We have all these TV opportunities to watch things. And not to mention the fact you could subscribe to the newspapers online now digitally and get a copy by the morning when you wake up. It was a different world back then. But the point is, is while there's differences in technology and while there's differences in, technol- in uh, the transfer window, the one thing that has not changed has been the chaos, has been the noise. It is just replaced by it happening on social media and the fact that now more people can contribute to all that noise. And what happened this weekend was ugly. Uh, let me just say that I'll be criticizing Porto in a while, but I have to give Porto credit here because they've been getting the blame. To me, whether it's Dragão, whether it's Alvalade, whether it's the Luge, whether it's the Bessa, whether it's in Barcelos, wherever it may be, you do not want clubs anywhere near that VAR because that just puts people in a position to make more conspiracy theories. So it sounds like this weekend... Somebody forgot to plug it in, and the battery ran out, and then there were issues with that. I feel sorry for the referee, like I said a few minutes ago, because he walked into this situation. He comes over to the sideline to do his job, and the thing isn't working. Now, there's got to be a checklist of things before the match that you have to do, and that's got to be one of them, is make sure the thing is plugged in. But obviously, we saw that. We saw a lot of extra time, a lot of stoppage time that a lot of people didn't agree with. And between that, it was reported all over the world because in the times we live in now, things like that will circle the globe on social media, mostly, of course, on the football, soccer social media account fast. And it didn't take long for people to see what happened. And Right now, we live in a world where, well, in terms of a Portuguese football, soccer world, that is, where, you know, I had a cousin of mine that I was talking to on uh, communicating with the other day on WhatsApp, and he said to me, he's a big Porto fan. He's a big, big Porto fan. And he said to me, he's like, you know, man, John, I feel these days I spend more time defending my club than actually enjoying the football. You know, I, I sent out a tweet like that. It was because I, I heard it from him, and I said, man, you are so correct. I got to use that on my Twitter feed, and I did. And it's just, it just, it's just, it feels like people spend more days talking about the noise than they do. And when he said that to me, I was like, you know, because this guy is a big time Porto fan. He's got the sticker on his car. He goes to the few games a year. He takes his two young girls to the game. He wants them to be, you know, little Porto fans. Uh, I mean, this is a fan, but he's even getting a little bit of tired of it. And we saw this week. The mayor of Porto, and you're probably wondering, what does the mayor of Porto have to do with this when I talk about noise? So the mayor of Porto for many years was the Porto pundit on the RTP international show, which was shown in Portugal on RTP3. Many of you probably recognize the program, Trio da Attack. And he was the Porto pundit for many years before he decided to run for the mayor of Porto, and he won, and now we know where he is. But he is somebody that has defended Porto for many years. He is somebody that wrote a lot of columns about Porto in the newspapers, and he is somebody that's always been very positive to Porto, but he came out this week and said that he was embarrassed about what happened in the Super Cup, and he was particularly upset at Sergio Conceição. He felt that the club needs to do a better job with fair play, that the chaos on the sidelines is not good, and it's just not a good thing for football, the fair play, and you know, he's frustrated with that. Remember, this is a big-time Porto guy. Big-time Porto guy. He's very frustrated with it. He was even mentioned, I think, a few years ago. Someone threw out the idea that he could become the president of FC Porto someday. Um But he even came out, and it was, a you know, talking about the situation, he contributes it to it now on a political level. And, of course, Porto comes out, Pinto da Costa, and says, you know, Conceição's my manager, and we're going to protect them. And... A lot of fans went against uh, the Porto mayor, which, to be honest with you, do in Porto could be a liability when you if you're trying to run for re-election in the future. But he, the mayor, didn't back down. He felt he had to say this. Um, but to be honest with you, politics and Portuguese football, you know, being to the cost Rui Rio, who was a longtime mayor for Porto, and then eventually he ran for prime minister of Portugal and he just lost in the last election to Antonio Costa. They never got along either between Porto and Rui Rio. So. There's nothing new about politics and Portuguese football because, especially in the city of Porto, there's always been that disappointment between the club and the politics of the city. There's been a lot of history of issues, at least in terms of these two gentlemen. So the ruido, the noise, hasn't really changed, people. It just continues and it continues. We saw Cristiano Ronaldo being asked about it. He thought it was a circus. He thought the Saudi league was better than the Portuguese league. And I still don't think it's there yet, but certainly getting close, um, especially with the amount of players that are getting signed to go play in Saudi Arabia. Portugal is certainly, the, the gap is being cut significantly. Um, let's not forget, Saudi Arabia doesn't need to sell players. They can buy anybody as we've seen. Portugal's clubs to stay afloat need to sell players. So Cristiano even came out and there were some people that criticized him, but he was right. You, you picked up the newspapers this week. And the first three big stories you saw were about the controversies. Um, Rui Costa came out this week saying that this could hurt the selling of the centralization of TV rights because you see the chaos and who wants to buy these rights? Um, People, I mean, I still think it makes for good television, in my opinion, to see that stuff, but obviously it doesn't make it for good respectability of the league. Um, And, you know, I will say this also. The Liga now, because of all the technology, is more popular now than it was when I first started PortugueseSaga.com because because of social media and because of video and because of you know the TV rights, more people outside of Portugal are seeing Portuguese football than they did back in the 90s because you have so much access to the information on social media. So Portuguese football has actually grown a f- bigger fan base, but the problem now is Because we live in a world where information flows quickly, when you do something like what happened this weekend, more people are going to hear about it, and it doesn't make our league look good. So in one way, it has helped us grow, but in another way, look how embarrassing it was this past uh, weekend. Um, So, and you may also say, because I defended Porto, but I also have to criticize Porto because, like my cousin said, they've been involved in a lot of controversies. The Super Cup. You know, getting Sokol uh, Saison back on the pitch with the Tide appeal. Now you got the situation with the mayor. You have this thing that happened they are going whether it's their fault or not. Porto fans are just very tired of it. And look, let's not stop there. But Fika, okay, they are a club that won their first title, but they've had their fair share of controversies with Luis Felipe Vieira. So you can't say that they haven't had their black guys Sporting had a lot of issues. I enjoyed reading his books. I think he, a lot of the things he did were good, but I think there were also some problems. But I think Bruno de Carvalho, I've spoken highly of him. I know his tenure was considered very rocky, and a lot of people didn't like it. And, and then, of course, we also know about sporting on another thing. Of course, the Alca-Chete attacks. So Portuguese football, with everybody, it might just be the situation as they're going. We've always had a lot of black guys, you know, where we have get punched in the face and we're embarrassed. It's, it's happened a lot. It's happened a lot. And the question we have to also ask ourselves is, how does this change? And to me, I don't know how to change it because the same people are running the clubs, the same people are running the media and the business, and nothing is going to change. And that's the reason why nothing has changed in 30 years. Now, I'm not advocating that anybody lose their job. But at the end of the day, the culture of not trusting, the culture of thinking when something doesn't sound like good to you. You consider it immediately to be the system working against you. This is so ingrained in Portugal, so, so ingrained in Portugal that it's just very hard to stop. Some people have said, well, if you allowed foreign ownership of teams in Portugal, then the new leaders that would come in would have a different philosophy. They may not want to be constantly in the press negatively because they're trying to sell their product abroad. Maybe that changes it. But in Portugal, you're not allowed to own the club the way you do in England. Um, you just can't. Uh, you can be a big owner inside, um, but it just doesn't work that easily with the clubs. The clubs will always have the power, the board. Um, so the point is, is there really is no solution right now. A few years ago, when they brought into the VAR, I remember it very well, it was in March. If I remember correctly, the President of the Federation said that there was a lot of bickering going on between the clubs and these felt like they had to bring in the VAR um, to get, um, you know, to, to, to make the league more transparent so people could see that it's not as bad as they think. And I remember the Tasa de Portugal that year had VAR. And I remember Rui Vitoria, Benfica, thought they were rushing it to put it in there in time. But it did. And I don't know if it was used, but of course we know that the following season VAR came. So, you know, Portugal, so much beauty in it, but when it comes to the football, there's a lot of, Um, rough road. There's a lot of noise. And I think until, you know, fans are going to get upset at me because they think that, you know, I'm saying bad things about their clubs. But we just had a controversy this weekend. And if you can't look at it and realize how ugly it looks, then how are we going to solve this problem if no one can look at it and say, man, that looks bad. Of course it looks bad. There's no other way to look at it. It looks bad. You got to, we got to figure out a way. But right now, It's just too dysfunctional, and it's not going to change. And for me, as somebody that's always tried to, and so many of you, all the years I've been doing it, the people that I've met that I've tried to love our beautiful Liga, it's disappointing when you see what happens this weekend, and you think that people could be turned off by it. And I know some people who have. So it's a tough thing. Our Liga has become about the controversies. The league has become about how much news is giving to selling players. Um, We have fans that when they sell the players and their clubs make money, fans are happy. Okay, I guess it's good for the financial bottom line. Um, Where I come from, you lose a player and you're weaker than you were last year, people get upset. Um, But it's a different culture. It's a beautiful culture. But it's a beautiful culture right now that needs some fixing. And Portugal right now has a lot of other problems. They have a housing crisis. They got this big thing with TAP. Now the former CAO wants $6 million, uh, because she was fired incorrectly. I mean, there are so many other big problems going on in Portugal. But most of the newspapers, even the newspapers that don't do sports, there is a good portion of it devoted to this ugly side. And I just think it's too bad because I think Portugal deserves better. The people deserve better. And I think people want to see football between the lines and not outside the lines and I think we all of us even if the ones that don't live in Portugal 365 days a year and breathe the lovely air I think we all know that we wish that we could um, see our football like the Premier League I mean Premier League has its controversies but I think a lot of times people enjoy the football a lot or if their teams are losing you hear more about the team losing and the disappointment um, and things like that but we are in the middle of some rough road. This wasn't easy for me to say. I've always been an advocate for this league, but we are in tough times. Anyway, coming up, part two, I will be previewing uh, Portugal matches, a little bit of a preview of this weekend with uh, Braga Moreirense, and a few other league notes from all around Portugal. Stay tuned. <laughs> PortugueseSoccer.com podcast. Welcome back. I uh, want to take this opportunity like I do every episode to say thank you for listening. And thank you for coming back, whether it's for 10 minutes or whether it's for the full episode. Uh, I am so appreciative. And, I, and again, thank you. And if you're a new listener, um, or if you're a regular listener, and you want to support this podcast, please give it a follow on uh The platform you listen to, whether it's iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Podcast Addict, those are some of the big platforms that it's on, all of them free, of course. And, of course, you can also listen to the audio on YouTube, com. YouTube, I put it there for those that want to hear it on uh, YouTube. So, again, uh, thank you so much uh, for your support and for coming back every week to listen. before I get going with the Portugal preview, just a few quick things. We have still we do have football this weekend. Uh, I'm a believer, um, especially when you think about how many players um, don't play in Portugal, play abroad. And, and I do realize some of the other, you know, there obviously are foreign players in Portugal that play for other big countries. But uh, I've never 100% been a fan of club football totally coming to a halt. I don't see any reason why in the lower divisions they need to halt, like the second division. Um, unless there is a team that is truly affected, then you could obviously work it out. But I'm glad to see that there is, um, you know, Saturday, that we at least have some football as opposed to this on Friday. Because Portugal plays Slovakia on Friday, and then they play come to Portugal and they play Luxembourg on Monday. That we have something. And, I, and of course, we could watch the other European matches, uh, no doubt about it. But when Portuguese clubs, especially at the lower divisions, do not play and are quiet, they're losing a lot of money. Um, It doesn't help them. And there are people that will say, well, you know, they're competing against all this big television with the national teams. I I actually think there are people that would, you know, would love to go to the game, um, in my opinion. And we do have some games this weekend. First off, in the Liga, uh, because of Braga's, uh, you know, when they were. To qualify for the Champions League in between the first and second league, their match with More Dance was postponed and they moved it to this Saturday. So, we will have on Saturday at 1800 hours a Braga uh, More Dance match uh, to finish up uh, match day four. Uh, Boavista is obviously the only surprise here with uh, 10 points along with Porto and Sporting. Uh, Boavista, of course, uh, is a club with, um, you know, they have, I think, one of the lowest. Uh, salaries, uh, combined salaries in the Liga and here they are at the very top Petit. He's bounced around at a lot of clubs. He's bounced around but I think he's finally found his footing here in Stadio de Vessa and Boa Vista and Boa Vista by virtual just a better goal difference. Are in uh, first place having a great year. Benfica not too far behind with nine points as well as Guimarães. Guimarães last week really hurt themselves when they uh, went down a man early and gave up uh, I think it was the own goal. Um, and then, of course, you know, you look at the rest of the league. Familia Cone, seven points, having a very good year, even though they sold Ivan Jaime to Porto. Arroca, uh, still getting that point, that big point in Porto. Uh, they are in the middle of the pack with uh, six points. Cazepilla, which just, show, just sold uh, Xavier Goodwin to Saudi Arabia. Uh, they are in the middle of the pack as well, in eighth place. And they, of course, just got two, close to two and a half million, which is a lot of money for that club selling the Nigerian player Goodwin uh, to Saudi Arabia. And, uh, of course, at the bottom, Shavs still has not recorded a point. They're like last year's Maritimo. Purtimonense struggling with only two points. Paulo Sergio has been there for a while now. He is starting to run into trouble. And then Estoril is in 16th place. They barely made it last year, and they find themselves down at the bottom as well. estoril uh in 16th place. And then you still have some other teams like Gilles Vicente and Ferenc who are struggling as well. So we do have League of Football, one match on Saturday, 1,800 hours. Yes, 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 I'm still going with the Big Four. Look, they qualified for the Champions League. They win this weekend. They're only three points behind first place. They're acting like a big club in competitions. They're in, you know, they've made all this money. So yes, for those that don't like it for now, I am still going to say the uh, Big Four. Uh, We have the final match, for the Alliance Cup, uh, the League Cup, Tasa de Liga, and that is the match between Vittoria Guimaraes and Tundela. This is also on Saturday night. This is at 20.30, 8.30. This was a match that was postponed from early August when Guimaraes was playing in Europe. They decided to postpone this match into September to allow Vitoria to concentrate on qualifying, which, unfortunately, as we know, um, did not work out and they were eliminated. So we do have... Uh, Tasa League Liga Football uh, this uh, weekend. And I don't believe we have any other matches. Uh, I kept thinking there might have been a second division match this week, but I haven't been able to find it. Uh, but obviously, if there is a second division match, I'll, of course, update it. And i across all the PortugueseSoccer.com, uh social media uh, platforms. Um, and uh, let me also say, before we go to the national team preview, congratulations to Tatiana Pinto, she just signed a big contract moving, Tiglin with Brighton. So, again, another women's football player going abroad. This reminds me back when I started PortugueseSoccer.com and the golden generation started to emigrate abroad for bigger clubs. We're starting to see that now with the success with women's football where, um, quite truthfully, um, you know, the money is still to be made bigger elsewhere for now in uh, Portugal. and uh, So that's a very big thing. And also, Women's Super Cup, Benfica Sporting, will be broadcast on TVI next Wednesday if you're in Portugal at 19.45. So the Women's Super Cup, uh, one of the free channels in Portugal, TVI, that's a very big move, again, in the promotion of women's football, which I, I still think continues uh, continues to grow in Portugal and, uh, you know, have doing a uh, very, very uh, well. But let's get going here um, regarding my Portugal preview and um, – Portugal in great shape with uh, 12 points, undefeated. Um, As I said at the top of this episode, one more win and they will break their record for their best start of a European or World Cup qualifying campaign. Uh, But it's not going to be easy. Slovakia has some players. They got a player on PSG, they got a player on Newcastle, they got some players that play in uh, some of the big leagues in uh, Europe. Uh, Not as big, but certainly uh, big enough. Um, But they are a country, I'm actually looking at their roster now to kind of get a better idea of them. Look, I I don't expect me to be an expert on it. But they are a team that uh, Portugal needs to be very careful with. Um, I do not think you can go into Slovakia and think you're going to get the three points the way you did against Luxembourg or Liechtenstein. Um, This is a team that did very well in the last Euro. I think they made it to... The quarterfinals, or they won their first match. I think they went farther than Portugal in the last Euro. So Slovakia is a team that is on the up. They're in second place in the group. Even if they get a draw, that would be a great result for Slovakia. And it wouldn't be a bad result for Portugal simply on the basis of the fact that Portugal's in the lead. They got to play Luxembourg on Monday. And it's very simple. They win these two matches, Portugal. Then I think what you're going to see is Portugal pretty much wrap up the group in terms of first place. And then I think you'll start to see Roberto Martinez call in some new talent for some of the remaining matches this year. Maybe not necessarily for the first match of the next, uh, in October. But once Portugal gets it uh, all settled, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they start to bring in some new faces and give some of these players, especially the ones in Saudi Arabia, they don't have to make that long trip, uh, some of the players playing for the big clubs in Europe they just might have them keep stay with their clubs and because obviously many of them will be in the middle of Champions League uh, campaign you know in terms of playing so it's very simple for Portugal they win these two matches I think they're pretty much gonna wrap up the group but if they slip and and we've had these disappointments it's happened to us when we played uh, Switzerland in, uh, in the last the Euro qualifiers remember that time when we lost to Ukraine um, Portugal does not have a history for as good as their team there are in being, Terrific. So I think the big worry match is definitely uh against Slovakia. Now Slovakia only beat Liechtenstein 1-0 at Liechtenstein. And that, that tells me that probably Liechtenstein just, you know, parked the bus and Slovakia just doesn't have the manpower as the Portuguese to break it down and score six, seven goals. But they are playing at home. They're gonna have their support. Anytime Cristiano steps on the pitch, a lot of people are gonna get very excited about it. Um, and I think we'll probably see that happening uh, this week. You'll see a, a full house in Slovakia probably. There's already a sold out crowd waiting for the Portuguese when they play Luxembourg on Monday in the Algarve. And uh, I just think for me the key is score early. take set uh, always when you're Portugal and you have this talent, you have to get this done early. Do not let the match go one one, nil nil, only be leading one goal and putting yourself in a position where they could level. You cannot afford to do that. You need to score early. You need to go into the halftime with a significant lead or a convincing lead, and you need to be in control. If you allow this match to get into the 80th minute with an opportunity for Slovakia, uh, somebody's been watching Portuguese football since 1997, I've seen my fair share of disappointments when that happens, it can be very dangerous. So I think Portugal needs to score early. I would not be surprised if Cristiano just continues to add to his international goal tally. Uh, my starters, my 11, I think I'm going to go with, uh, no surprise, Diego Costa. I think in the back I'll see Danilo, Diaz, Antonio Silva, um, Cancelo, Paulinha, Bruno, Diego Lowe, uh Bernardo, uh, Ronaldo, and of course Rafael Leão up top. Um, I think Rafael has been doing a lot better. Well, of course, we could also see Gonzalo Ramos. Um, I don't know. Maybe t- I, I maybe I could change Danilo, um, but I, I'm just kind of going with that. If I recall correctly, the way he lined up during the last uh, match day, I guess what was it back in uh, June. Uh, but again, Portugal has to take care of. And Luxembourg, look, Luxembourg is in the battle for second place. They want to see Portugal win because it's really all about second place for them. Because second place automatically also does qualify. Um, so you know, if Portugal beats Slovakia. And Luxembourg this weekend um, is playing Iceland. If they beat Iceland, then you know Luxembourg has a lot to play for on Monday. But again, Portugal just has the better team. They've been in control with Luxembourg every time they've played them. We know they have some Portuguese-descended players on the team with family in Portugal. We know that the Luxembourg players, some of them will get very motivated. But again, I think Roberto Martinez has punched all the right buttons. Uh, But right now, Worry about Slovakia. We got to score a few goals in the first half and then come home and give the fans in Portugal a great match. Uh, the last time I think we played in Algarve, I think we played Ireland and I think it was a disappointing result. So we need to erase that when we go back to Algarve Stadium and lovely Faru and we need to take care of uh, business and uh, to do that. So um, I always love international football. Um, I think it's just a very fun time of the year. And it's a quick one. Friday at Slovakia. Monday with the two-day break in between. Usually it doesn't happen. And that smells to me like the Federation just wants these players to go back right away to their clubs. um, Because that's just the way it works. These more and more players. Look at Mateus Nunes. He wasn't called up, but he's now playing for City. Portugal is must-see TV. Everybody wants to see them play. They have some of the best players in the world playing for the biggest clubs in the world. They are a major, major attraction. And I think that's why uh, we'll, uh, see them, um, a few other things, by the way, going back to, uh, Portugal, um, let me just add very uh, quickly, uh, Bruno, some video of him visiting the sporting store in Alvalade, I thought that was a great video, Bruno's always been a big, big passionate fan still to this day of, uh, sporting, uh, Jota, of course, if you remember, left Celtic to go play in Saudi Arabia, looks like he's being cut from his team, um, the bad news is you got to find the new club, which is probably going to be hard to do at this time. I'll be curious to see if Celtic will take him back. Uh, I'm not really sure what the transfer regulations are there in uh, Scotland. Uh, but you know what? He's going to probably get a big, big money for letting him go like that. I can't imagine he's going to leave and they're not going to give him anything. They have to, after all, have a contract. And the last thing you want to do if you're Saudi Arabia and attract players is, you know, you need to honor your contracts. Um, but I'm sure they're going to work something out. But tough situation for Zlatan. I personally thought he should have stayed at Celtic, and he obviously didn't. And here we are. Uh, but listen, he's going to get a big payout, and now the question is: is where does he go next? Where does he need to make his next good decision? Because although the money's good from a playing perspective, and again, I always thought he could be a player that could be on the national team. You know, I always thought he was a candidate. I'm surprised, by the way, Bruma wasn't on, called up. I was also surprised that Joan Felix was called up. I was very surprised with that. I don't, you know, Ruben Amarine had some criticism for Roberto Martinez that national team camp shouldn't be about helping players. It's about, let's go, let's get the three points and win. It shouldn't be about helping players and doing them a favor. Uh, I kind of agree with uh, Ruben Amorin about that. But uh, Jota has set back his career a little bit, although not necessarily in the uh, pocketbook. Uh, Other news to talk about, Xavier Goodwin. Of course, I told you we left uh, Kazapia to go to Saudi Arabia. Podence, Daniel Podence, is back in Greece with Olympiacos. And we have a bit of a B-Sahd-Bilinense situation developing with Fadents. They're having a falling out with Saad. They had to play their second division match last weekend in the BESA. I think there was only like 300 people in the stadium. Uh, Pedro Martins... The Portuguese manager, who last managed Olympiacos, he, uh, he wrote a letter saying that he wants to try to negotiate um, so that there's no problems. Apparently, Ferenc Saad owes the club a lot of money, and that seems to be at the heart of why they're having an issue playing in their stadium. So, very unfortunate to see that, and I'll report about that more in the future about Ferenc. Uh, played in front of something like 300 fans in the best. I actually caught that game for a few minutes, and I couldn't believe how empty it was. You could actually hear the players. It reminded me of COVID when players came back to play, and there was nobody in the stadiums, and you could hear them yelling and screaming and things like that. Uh, wrap it up with Athletic Arcus. They're getting ready to play in about a week. Their tasa de Portugal match against Malveira, a club from Mafra down south. But not really much else going on, just getting ready for the season. And again, I hope this is the year that they can finally get promoted uh, to the fourth tier. Um, viewer comment, I had a few, but I'm going to answer one now because uh, this podcast is running long. Someone asked me about my opinion on the Messi-Cristiano Ronaldo. Cristiano coming out and saying that you know people who like him shouldn't hate Messi. Uh, and Let me just say this, Messi is doing some extraordinary things with Major League Soccer. I went to the game with the for Miami versus Red Bull. And when he came off the bench to warm up the stadium, Red Bull Arena was electric. And apparently they've sold a lot of subscriptions to Apple TV because they're the ones that own the MLS rights. And it seems like everything is working for Messi. But let me also say everything's working for Cristiano because he is playing in one of the bigger leagues in the world. There's a lot more soccer fans, I believe, in the Middle East than there is, I think, in the Northern America part of the world in terms of diehard fans that consider football, soccer, their number one sport. Um, But Cristiano's doing great things, too. And I think Cristiano and and people talk about him and Messi. uh, The fans bring it up more than I think they think about themselves, to be honest with you. And they're both doing great things at this point in their careers. They're taking their football. it may not necessarily be in the La Liga, but... Cristiano in Saudi Arabia and Messi in MLS are helping different parts of the world raise the prominence of this sport, and I think they should be commended. And again, these are why they are both the GOATs. I am still always going to be a Cristiano guy, but Messi does have my respect. So my opinion on Messi, uh, David, uh, David was the one that uh, sent me the DM, is that, um, in my opinion, um, I just think that they're both doing great things and they should both be respected and um who's the greatest player of all time i just don't think that's very fair because they've all they've all made their mark it's a shame. it's a shame that they both are playing at the same time and that one can play later 10 years from now and have the spotlight for himself it's just too bad but it's, it's like a problem they have in tennis with all these great players playing at once it never used to be that way back in the 80s or 70s anyway Uh, apologies I didn't get to all the viewer quotes I'll do that next week but again I'm going to wrap up episode 187 enjoy the national team football Um, enjoy if uh, you're going to have more time this weekend not watching football and doing other things I hope you enjoy whatever it is Um, and again we will uh, talk to you again next week as always please take care of yourselves please take care of your families and uh, talk to you next week ciao everybody